Hello from elsewhere. I'm Valerie. I'm Casey, and this episode comes to you straight from the inside of a frozen whale carcass. Today we're discussing the magic of families and memory in two films, Coco and Kubo and the Two Strings. Casey, remember how we watched Coco the other night? I do, in in preparation for this very episode. Exactly. And we were talking, I mentioned to you after, actually I think it was during, I played some music for you by Linda Rodstadt, who was a famous singer in like the 70s and 80s mostly, a little bit in the 90s, and uh, she was a big popular artist, but then she kind of went back to her heritage, because her heritage is German-Mexican, and she wrote um, an album called, I'll probably slaughter this, Canciones de mi Padre. So, you know, the songs of my father. So she's talking about her heritage. And it's true Mexican mariachi music. And uh, I just love it. But I love it because my mom would always play this album for us on road trips. And we'd all sit in the back trying to sing as loud and as long as <laughs> Linda Rodstadt does. And she just has this incredible Because she goes on and on. This You're incredible playing voice. I've never Can heard I? of her or heard her music, but um, she just goes on and on. Didn't Forever think about that, in a beautiful way. Can I can I legally play? What do you have? Thirty seconds? Even less, probably, for a song. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, how does that not make you happy? You're just like all of a sudden like smiling. You're like, wow, this is good music. I don't think that I thought that as much as a kid. I think I was a little more like, ugh, mom, this album again. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> but we loved trying to do, I think in the movie Coco, he calls it a, a grito, or a grito, something like that. And, mm, you know, the, yeah. the sounds that they make, that the mariachi make, with, and I just love those. And we'd sit in the back of the car trying to copy those. <laughs> and uh, anyways, I have very fond memories of that. But we were talking about it the other night, and then this morning I was listening to the radio because I happened to be in town, not in the country, where there were <laughs> many radio stations. And there was this there was this interview with Kristen Chenoweth, who has a new album coming out. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't know that. But she I'm sure has, my dad knows that. Probably. <laughs> but they have a... She's gathered a bunch of artists to work with her, like Dolly Parton and Ariana Grande, and I think it was Jennifer Hudson who mm-hmm. was also on there. Anyways, and she said that she was inspired by the album's... Uh, I don't know if they called it a band or an album trio, and it had Dolly Parton, Linda Rodstadt, and Emmylou Harris, and she was saying that she always loved as a kid listening to that album the blending of these very different voices that the three of them have and the way that they made it work and made this beautiful album. So I'm going to have to go look that up next. But I just thought it was funny that we had just barely been talking about Linda Rodstadt, and then she came back up as an influence for this new record of Kristen Chenoweth. She's in the air. Yeah. Is she still alive? She is. 73. So she's getting up in age, but she's still alive. She'll be remembered, though. So She's in the... She won't disappear into nothing. No, because I was looking her up. I was like, I feel like a lot of people haven't heard about her. You hadn't heard about her. I hadn't heard about her, no. Um, I was talking to some friends last night about her, and one had and one hadn't. Mm -hmm. Um, But she has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that album I was talking about, uh, uh, Canciones de Mi Padre, has had two and a half million records sold, which is still makes it still the number one selling record in America that isn't in English. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a non-English record 
sold in America. Interesting. Still number one, man. <laughs> so whatever album, uh, what's the one really popular? Despac- what is it? No. Enya. No. <laughs> Well, I was thinking Enya's probably up no, there. No, the because Despacito. She, what is that song that's uh, really popular? I, I, I think I know where you're getting at, but I don't know. Somebody will know for us. Yeah, please let us let know. us know because my mind's going blank too. But I bet Enya's up there on that list because mm. she usually sings in Celtic. Yeah, various um, other languages that aren't English, and so she's probably up there. All right, Linda. What's her last name? Rodstat. How do you spell that? Oh man. R O D S Oh R O N S T A D T. Ronstad. Which is interesting because Yeah, you hear her last name and you're like, that's not a Spanish name. But I think it was her grandfather moved from Germany to Mexico and married someone there. So he so, yeah, I was just curious who else. So this was in 2014 that she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which included Nirvana, Kiss, Peter Gabriel. Peter? Not Peter Gabriel. That sounded like Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Hall of Notes. Cat Stevens. That's a... And Linda Rodstadt. She was the only awesome. girl in that inductee year. Yeah. Also, I like that they call it the class of 2014 inductees. <laughs> That's so funny. Do you think they have like a yearbook just for them that they And they signed? just like signed each other's. Have a good summer. I just, you know, be really interested in the kind of conversations that group had together. Right. The, yeah, it's very uh, diverse music-wise. Yeah. All right. So let's, should we jump right in? Let's do it. I'm excited about this episode. I'm so excited. I, I was kind of, ner- I always get nervous beforehand. Just That's just me. I just get nervous. And sometimes I'm nervous just because, but sometimes I'm nervous because I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Um, with these two movies. I'm always just winging it over here. <laughs> <laughs> You're really good at that. And I'm over here with six pages of notes. Six. I have I think, half a page of I notes. think that's a record for... Uh, for our podcast, I have really? six pages of notes. I didn't realize I had taken that much. Like I was saying, I was kind of nervous. I was like, I don't know if I, if I am prepared. And I was looking through my notes. I'm like, wow, I wrote a lot about Kubo and Coco. When we do heavy, heavy research episodes, like the one that we did on maps, I took a lot of notes there. Yeah, because there was a lot of information I wanted to keep straight. Yeah, but in general. If it's just like tonight we're talking about movies that I've already seen multiple times, I didn't feel the need to take as many notes. Yeah. But I hope we do these movies justice because they're two of our favorites. And I don't know about you, but especially for me, Kubo is like a top five movie for me. I love Kubo and the two strings. And and that's another reason maybe why I was nervous because can we do it justice? But here we are going to try. I really enjoy Kubo. I don't think it makes it into my top five not definitely not my top five maybe top 20 that's still really high so i definitely i really enjoy it yes and i think people need to go watch it i i think a lot of people probably haven't watched it and they should so just as a little bit of background kubo and the two strings is made by leica studios which has made things like Coraline, um box trolls paranorman the latest was missing link uh so they do stop motion animation which is one reason why I love it is just animation-wise, it's amazing and it's art and fantastic, and you can't believe as you're watching that that, that this they took is, the time to make it stop so motion. It's just so painstaking, and um, so I adore it for that reason. But I also just love it on a storytelling and emotional level, and uh, we're we're gonna get into that. But we've both felt like these movies are, um, I don't know, siblings maybe, or there's... they have such similar themes throughout. They definitely go together, and and characters a little bit and just situations and there's so much connective tissue between these even though coco is a pixar movie it's 
computer animated. Kubo is is stop motion. It's made by a different studio, so it's not like they're in some sort of same universe or anything. I yeah, there's just have, a spiritual connection to them. I think. I feel like Kubo is tends to be more serious. Coco is a little more lighthearted. They're definitely different in a lot of ways, but and that at the same time, I cry more at Kuko. Kuko. <laughs> Is that the first of many that that's going to happen? I'm sure. The two names are even similar. Coco, Kubo. I, I cry profusely when I watch Coco. Yes. Kubo, I don't cry quite as much, although I do get choked up. Mm-hmm. And also, Kubo does have some funny stuff. Like, I, you find yourself laughing watching it. But yes. on a grand scale, yeah, I, I agree. Kubo is a little more... Um, a little more serious and the ending's a little more bittersweet I think than Coco is but yes uh, it's like a happy ending but not entirely happy yeah if you haven't seen either of these and there's a higher chance that you probably haven't seen Kubo please go watch it before you listen to the rest of the episode is it on anything it's not but it is so worth a rental Um, I think it's worth a buy but I people might not <laughs> like like it as much as I do. I don't know. Definitely worth the rent. It's got like a ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which really I mean I don't I don't really follow Rotten Tomatoes that closely, but if if that means anything to you, it was very beloved by critics and audience. So it's definitely worth a watch and it, there's gonna be spoilers ahead. So um before you know, before we jump in, just beware there are spoilers and if you can find a way to watch watch them both, please, please do it. But yeah, should we come over to our house? We'll watch yes, it with you. <laughs> I will I will gladly watch it with anybody. Yeah. I've shared it with multiple people before, so we'll just play it on a loop. Yep. And people can come and go as they need to. Exactly. You know. <laughs> so maybe we should talk about the theme of memory first, because that's sort of the main theme, memory and family that we want to cover. And then there's a lot of other comparisons and, and contrasting ideas that we can go into just after that, but just to make sure we cover cover all the memory maybe we should start start there i don't know how your notes how your notes are organized or if you want me to just you mean how they're not organized (laughs) how they're just scribbled down nonsense i know and and here (laughs) i am with i've got six pages of notes in a notebook and then i had to transfer them to the computer so that i could organize them them out and they are now by your who taught you how to take notes i remember having a english teacher in fifth grade no, sixth grade, because that was my first year of middle school, mm-hmm. teach us how to take notes. And you break it down by sections, and you start with your letters, and then you do the numbers after, and oh, the Roman the, numerals, the like outline the outline organization. organization. I don't remember who taught me that, but I, I know I learned name, it. But it was a sixth grade English teacher. Now they, She was proficient. I'm guessing nowadays no one teaches that, because oh. word processing just does it automatically now. But we're old. It's an art form to be able to take <laughs> to take good notes, proper outlined notes, right? So I've with your Roman numerals here and everything, Casey. Look at you go. Yeah, but like I said, the 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 word processing did it for me. On my notebook oh. notes, it's just bullet points. That's I why I had to, to put it on the computer. Out by hand. Yeah. Practice. All right, the magic of memory. Let's go into it. Do we want to start with Kubo, and then sure. go into Coco, and maybe talk about how they're combined after that? Talk about both. Sounds great. Um, where to start memory? Well, actually, you know what? Maybe we should just give a quick recap about the story just so we can get into it. Um, so there's Kubo and he's on a journey to find the armor that will allow him to defeat the Moon King, who is also his grandpa. And on this journey with him are Monkey and Beetle. And it all sounds very like fable-like. It has a, a, a fable-like quality to the to the movie, and um, which is delightful. And so he's on this journey 
with monkey and beetle. Why are you smiling? You like <laughs> I like when you say the word delightful. <laughs> it might be one of my favorite things that you say often. Do I say it a lot? You say it pretty frequently, but you always say it in the same lilting, delightful. <laughs> and I just like it. <laughs> I'm becoming more and more self-aware, I guess. I didn't realize I said delightful that much. I know I said it sometimes. Enough that you say it in the same way each time. Like you have a delightful that's much more interesting than like saying awesome which i probably say a lot as well so i'm that's i like it over here i was, okay. I was smiling because you're cute <laughs> <laughs> valerie we got to get through this episode okay not because to get to the end but just because it's important and you're over here giving me <laughs> cute eyes and you need to stop it <laughs> and let the record show she's doing a, a <laughs> dance i'm gonna spend the rest of the episode looking straight at the computer not looking at you okay so past the halfway point monkey so you learn that monkey is actually kubo's mom and um monkey's worried about she's gonna he die is not the son of a monkey monkey was a little talisman object a little totem thing totem yeah that his mother imbu- imbued with her last magical power right. to protect her son so she is monkey now but yes Yes. He is not the son of saying a monkey. That, yeah. <laughs> he saying is... that monkey was her his mom just anyways sounded weird. Yeah. Well, it is kind of weird because she's not human either. She's right. like and this she angelic didn't... character that they don't really explain. She's like a star, a angel, star, moon, celestial being of m- some moon kind. drop something and so... <laughs> moon drop. Yep. <laughs> she's a Sounds moon like drop. Sounds like a drug. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so mama moon drop is worried about that the fact that she's going to die soon because her magic has run out and um yes she's dying and beetle is saying i'll take i'll take care of him but he says you know your story will never end your story will live on in him and um that's one of the first indications maybe of how important memory and story are well not story because the whole movie is about the magic and power of storytelling but memory specifically as the movie goes along, becomes more and more important um, in Kubo, where especially at the climax versus Coco, and we'll get into it, Coco's focus of memory is like prevalent throughout. So they they treat the theme a little bit differently. Um, There's more of an arc to it in Kubo, and it's a little more subtle, I think. And then Monkey also says later, I think it's later, maybe it's before, she says like, when we die, we don't just disappear, which is not only true for this, but... This idea that we continue on in some way. Yeah, yeah. and then also on a surface level, so Kubo's dad, um, who's Beetle, we learn that even later in the movie, toward the very end, right before he tragically dies, is that he is Kubo's dad. But um, he had lost monkey's, his memory. Yeah, and but Monkey's husband. She's Monkey. He's Monkey's husband. Like I said, this is a weird. I hope you've seen the movie because because I don't know if we're selling it. It's, well, it's weird to describe. It's weird on <laughs> it paper. Is, yes. Um, but yeah, he's lost his memory and. He starts to develop more and more love for Kubo, of course, but also for Monkey. And you see it as the movie's going along. And he doesn't have his memory. He doesn't remember loving this family. And so I like this idea that the love is powerful enough to break through the curse, to break through the lost memory. Right. That reminds me of um, that reminds me of when Coco's family and jumping back and forth here because I felt like it applied to both. Mm-hmm. Um, when Coco's family said, you know, you have your family here to guide you. Um, I think it's his grandmother who says it. And she's talking about, or his, I think it was his dad talking about how he'll, he'll teach him how to make shoes with mm-hmm. his family, yeah. you know, because that's their family heritage is making the shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it applied to both uh, 
both his life on Earth and his and Kubo's or not Kubo and Coco's Miguel. Uh, We're gonna oh, do that throughout. Oh, I'm gonna do that so much. Okay, and it applies to Miguel's life, actual life on Earth, and the time that he spends in the afterlife um, with his family there, trying to guide him home, and then with Kubo as well. Like he doesn't realize it's his family guiding him. Yeah, but it is Beetle and Monkey are his family, and they are guiding him he has his family there to guide him yeah um so in in kubo the the climax where he sort of uses his magic to bring the ancestors uh like their spirits are there to protect kubo and the villagers and they ultimately are able to defeat the moon king um that's where the the memory as magic theme really comes in heavy it's just the most beautiful moment where the moon king his grandfather all of a sudden his memory has been wiped and in, and he had been an evil character and at this point uh, speaking of memory is magic and and their ability to replace his memory with good magic like his um so kubo and the villagers they tell him all these wonderful things he's like i don't remember who i am and they say you know you're the nicest man i've ever met you taught my child to swim and they and they give him all these they give him these memories to make him a good person right and i think a, a major theme of both of these is the idea that storytelling is powerful I mean, and storytelling yes. being synonymous with memory, that both are powerful for good and for evil. And and going along with the grandfather thing, at, at the climax of Kubo, it's all about how memory saves us or saves um, the characters. So the memory of the ancestors, their power is literally saving Kubo and the villagers, but also um, memory is what's saving, it's what's giving the grandfather a second chance or a chance to be, to be human. Yeah. Um, this almost planted memory which feels like a lie but it's also kind of beautiful um i don't know how to unpack that but jumping back a little bit right before that moment when the moon king's the big evil creature fish eel thing he tells kubo he like gets up in his face everything you loved is gone everything you knew has been taken from you another way of saying like memory is is pain and the past is pain because uh the moon king's whole whole thing is that humans are bad and part of a big part of being human is is memory and a big part of being human is the pain that's inherent in a lot of memories and and so he says that everything you've loved is gone and um it's been taken from you and and kubo beautifully says no it's in my memories the most powerful magic of all and then he says as as the ancestors spirits come from the graves and sort of make this circle around everyone to protect them uh, kubo says it it makes us stronger than you'll ever be these are the memories of those we have loved and lost. And if we hold their stories deep in our hearts, then you will never take them away from us. Which is just another way of saying that, that death has no true power um, when we remember those who have passed on. Which is, I mean, you could say that about Coco as well. So Yes, they're definitely related in that way. And Are you tearing up? Just beautiful. <laughs> it's just a beautiful sentiment. I'm not tearing up though. But oh, okay, you looked like you were tearing up. No. Okay. <laughs> But I, I was going to ask, and maybe this is the all-important question here. Can you love without memory? Because if this whole thing is is memory and love are are tied together, and so much of of our the stories we tell are based on memory and based on based on the love of the people around us and the people who have gone on, can you love without that memory? I don't think so, because as soon as you start to love someone like you think about even beetle you know you mentioned that he grows to love kubo and monkey even without knowing you know who they truly are to him but he's already built memories with them at this point they've already been journeying they've been through traumatic experiences they've 
shared things. They have shared memories now. And that's when he starts to love them. So I don't think we can, I don't know. People talk about love at first sight, I guess. But that always seems very superficial. Like you would even, you'd have to at least know a little bit about their personality. And even that is a shared memory. Yeah. So your first meeting is a shared memory. So I think you, I think you build love through the memories you share. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I just wonder, I'd like to hear someone who feels differently about that, you know? And I'm thinking about people who, you know, if they have some sort of disorder where they have trouble with memory, um, obviously they can love in, I don't know. It's just a big question, I think. So. You're thinking Alzheimer's? Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. And now um, we're just going to get into the notebook. I don't want to talk about the notebook. I don't like the notebook. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple more things with Kubo and we'll um, we'll jump into Coco and then maybe do some more comparing and contrasting. But so so as we were saying, the the memories Kubo and the villagers have for their ancestors and the love they continue to experience even after they die, um, it gives them power in in a literal way in the movie. And it reminded me of, of Interstellar where... Dr. Brand asks, you know, we love people after they die. What What's the social utility in that? Do you remember that line? Yes. I, I think, thought you were going to talk about the line where he just says that now we're just here to be memories for our kids. I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. you really could, I mean, we've talked a lot about Interstellar just a few weeks ago, but the theme of memory is pretty heavy in that as well. And uh, I, yeah, I think we could easily dive into that. But I think that Kubo, Kubo is telling us as the audience, and I think Interstellar posits this as well, that um, that love and memory are magic, and they protect us, and they they save us. And um, it's just a it's just a powerful thought and a powerful image in the movie. And please go watch it if you haven't. It, you, you need to. <laughs> and now, if you haven't, it's been spoiled, and it's not as magical. Hopefully, they paused, went and watched it, and came back. I, I was thinking about this idea too of that people and stories are almost interchangeable. Um, in in thinking about Kubo, like how the movie often talks about having endings and the story needs to have an ending and and the people need to have an ending uh which it's not really a it's not really presented as a dissatisfactory thing it's what gives the people or the stories power and value i think that's a really interesting thought because we often think about eternity and immortality as um as a, a perfect thing but this movie's showing that like perfection and infinity is what's related to the villain in this movie and that an ending even if it's sad or bittersweet is um the human thing and it's a beautiful good thing and i think that's a way that these two movies are not parallel in in the way that they treat eternity and and that idea i don't know if you what you feel about that well i love that idea that people like stories need endings and that you know gives them power but i do think that while they talk about them ending like their life on earth ending they their spirits continue on. So I think that helps give them comfort as well in both situations. Um, in both movies or, or cultures, they like in Kubo, they have lamps and, and altars and they and they speak with the dead. And, and then in uh, Coco, they have the ofrenda where they put up the pictures of their ancestors and they've got the petals to invite them back from their cemeteries. You know, this, these ideas of uh, their loved ones being able to come back and visit as a, a powerful way to help them heal from those endings from those uh those deaths but also kubo shows them sort of being like the spirits changing form into the into the golden heron versus coco which is this the spirits look basically like they do on earth except for as skeletons you know like they're in the same so i don't know that kubo really goes into it if if those those spirit birds have 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 their memories of earth or if they've completely moved on i don't I don't know. 
or if they really did end at some point. I think if they depict them as coming back to visit their loved ones, then they have to have memories of their loved ones. Yeah. I don't really know either way. I was just, yeah, raising the question. Right. Yeah. All right, let's jump into Coco and memory for a little bit. So Coco starts out with Miguel talking, and the first thing he says is, sometimes I think I am cursed for something that happened before I was even born. And I really liked that line because we had already watched Kubo, and it felt very similar. You know, he was kind of cursed by his parents' choice to fall in love, and that, you know, brings down the wrath of his grandfather and everything. There's this idea that that our, our heritage, our ancestors, the choices that they make certainly affect our lives and our futures, you know, where we're currently living and, and what circumstances we live in and, and just all of these factors that play together that was really similar in both stories. But throughout, we get the story of Miguel trying to follow his art form or his dream, which is another thing I thought was interesting was that he has a guitar that he's kind of repurposed on his own. Um, You notice that it has screws, or not screws, but like nails hammered in in place of frets. And in, and, in, and in place of, like, the tuners, he's, like, jerry-rigged some funny things there. And he's he's used a, he's used a marker to, like, draw on it to try and make it look like, um, why did I just blank on the main? Ernesto de oh, la Cruz. Yes, yeah. Ernesto de la Cruz's guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's kind of creating his own, his own art form, which is, like, Kubo and his origami. They mm. both have these forms of self-expression that they're using to try and... And I lighten their earthly load, I would say, yeah. to to bring them joy, to spark joy. Well, can I can I yeah. jump back a second to what Go you said uh, earlier? You, you were talking about how that that starting line with the narration about being um, he feels like he's been cursed for something he he didn't even have a part of, right? And it's interesting too because even his own parents weren't really part of that either. Like it's it's this generational right this generational thing, and there's this idea in in, in psychology. It's kind of a newer idea and it's I'm not like endorsing it one way or another but there's been an idea posited that there's such thing as transgenerational trauma um like a real world example is um that the children of holocaust survivors um at a higher rate were like it was like in Canada or something um there was a study that was looking at the rate of the children of holocaust survivors um going into like therapy versus people who weren't children of, of holocaust survivors and it was like a a drastically um, disparate number, um, way, way more. And, and I mean, it makes sense from a logical perspective. If, if you're someone that has, has trauma, you are going to not intentionally, but you're going to pass that trauma down in some ways, um, yes. just by the way you act. And l- like I said, it's a new idea and it, it's controversial in a lot of ways, but I was thinking about that idea just in terms of memory and, and transgenerational memory and how the memories of the family have affected even their values and it drives them like all the family rules um, are all based on this one incident that happened um, decades ago, a long time ago that a lot of the family wasn't even a part of. Um, they have no actual memory of it, but the family unit, the family as a whole does have a memory of it, so to speak. Right. It's like when you talk about the idea of family feuds and they go on for generations Yeah. to the point where people are like, well, I'm not sure what started it. Right. So the scene I really wanted to make sure we talked about was um, the flashback scene of, of Hector singing to Coco and the, or them singing to each other. That memory that like makes, makes me, me cry. cry 
that so one, much every time. And then we, when Miguel sings it to Coco, that part too. That part. And, and at the very like, end, the very last like, song, I cry a lot. Your loves you so much. And you're like, <laughs> I cry a lot at this movie. But I, I found that I'm not really sure why exactly I cry during the flashback scene. Obviously, I, I cry because I'm a dad and... There's that. But I always felt like there was something deeper to it than that. But I was trying to pay attention a little bit more for the purposes of this episode. And what I thought was really cool, and it's really subtle, there's one quick little shot from Coco's point of view when they're singing, and you just see her hands on Hector's face, right? I think that scene is just as much Coco remembering that moment as Hector is. And I think that they're remembering it at the same time. Almost like in the movie that in the movie Hector says that they would sing each other that song every night even when they're far apart. And I think the beauty of it is they're still doing that. They're still remembering that scene, you know, decades and decades later, and they're remembering it at the same time. And the reason for that From is... opposite sides of... Of uh, life. Of life, yeah. of the veil, whatever it's, you want to call it. Of it's, the, yeah. it's so cool. And... Um, I like that. I hadn't thought about and that. And even one, not only that point of view shot is an indication of it, but also when that flashback is fading away, everything's fading to black except for Coco. She's the only one that's not fading to black, um, which is emblematic of the fact that she's losing her memories of everything um, except for, you know, her physical self. And so anyways, it's just super, super powerful scene. And I think it's the the crook for us feeling his love and her love and because up to this point in the in the story, you think of the dad as like a deadbeat who left his family, you yeah. know, until you realize that he really did want to make it back and that he loved his daughter more than anything. And I think that's part of it, too, is there's always you want children to have these happy memories of their childhood. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you know, we try to make those for our kids, yeah. try to be n- nice parents <laughs> yeah, and build happy memories for them. And so I think that's powerful, too, that. She has these happy memories, but they get turned sour by her mother's view of him and by her inability to talk about him with anyone because the mom has kind of, you know, Mama Imelda has kind of banned any mention of him, which is fair enough. She's trying to survive. She's trying to, you know, raise Mm -hmm. her daughter and she's got to be strong and that's how she does it. That's just the way it was. Not blaming her for that, but just this idea that her memories of him um, probably get tainted for a long time. Especially if she never talks about him with anyone until um, Miguel brings him up, and he she finally starts bringing back these memories in a positive light. This is the first time any of her family has seen the letters her dad has written, which is you know memories of his love to her. And she talks about the song that he sang to her, and and so you get. When she's re, it's almost like she's regaining her memories of him in a positive light. Mm-hmm. When they would have been probably in a negative light when she had her, uh, before she started losing her memory, because that would have been the way her mother viewed her, you know, made her view it, I guess you'd say, or yeah. the way she experienced it. Well, and what, that's what's so powerful about that, that scene where um, Miguel is singing Remember Me to Coco is that she's. I mean, it almost looks like she's going to die that day or at least lose her memory completely that day. Like she is catatonic and the the power of the memory and the song, not only does it help her remember her, her dad, remember Hector and save him, you know, just like in Kubo, how the, the climax is saving all these people through memory in Coco, the memory is what's saving Hector, but it also like gives coco life for a second you she she lights up she starts talking she She recognizes who's around her it's um it's really it's really um 
powerful. I think that's why the two are tied for me. We were talking about this. You wanted to talk about the the magic of memory, and I was like, well, you got to talk about as family as well. Yeah. And it's because the memories are of family, Mm -hmm. and that's what makes them powerful. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yep. It's also important to talk about memory in the context of uh, of the villains. We mentioned a little bit about the Moon King and how his whole um, purpose is that he hates humans. And part of that is humans remember things, even the sad things. But then you look at Ernesto de la Cruz and his his whole obsession is with being remembered. Can I mention something real quick? Yeah. This is a separate total side note, but I was just barely thinking about the um I started reading Peter Pan with the children and... They talk about the stars. I wonder if this is where they got the idea for the Moon King. Anyways, they talk about the stars having memories and that the some of the stars are so old that they choose not to remember things or not to pay attention to the humans anymore. Mm. But some of the younger stars find Peter Pan interesting and still kind of pay attention to what's going on in the human world. Like this is in kind of like the opening chapter there. Anyways, I just thought it was an interesting idea that like the stars were watching the humans on Earth. Or at least the young stars ones. The, the young stars were... The ones who wanted to, um, I don't know, they hadn't gotten tired of watching the humans yet, whereas the old stars had. And yeah. I feel like the Moon King is kind of like that. He's been around so long, he's like, humans are always the same, and they're always choosing love and misery and pain that comes from love, and, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. No, that's awesome. I didn't know. I didn't remember that about Peter Pan. That's really cool. My guess is that the idea for the Moon King probably comes from something and more like Japanese folklore though but I don't Could be. I don't remember for sure um but I think there's a lot of stories that I, I think that you're touching on that have that idea of um like these godlike characters that are just um aloof toward toward humans but Percy Jackson but in this in the you know you know more about that than I do so I don't Percy I don't Jackson uh the <laughs> the Rebel of the Sands trilogy also has god characters that are pretty uninvolved until occasionally i think the elves elves are a little bit like that in lord of the rings and even um the wizards are supposed to be like that except for gandalf um there's just this that's really interesting to think about gandalf's a little bit more like um more like the mom wizard yeah but that's what i'm saying he's more like the mom um in kubo in that he's um sort of living among the common folk versus versus saruman who's more like the the ants saruman mentions that he's like i don't get why you've always loved these humans and hobbits and yeah. mortal beings yeah he doesn't understand it which makes gandalf an anomaly in his in his race i guess wizards are a race yeah the the Not Astari, a profession it's a, a race they're a godlike being godlike beings from long long ago yeah. But yeah that's a whole interesting idea that when you live for so long when your memories are so long you can only choose to remember certain things you know like yeah. there's just not capacity to store at all and i think that gets back to what kubo's saying is that stories and people need an end of some kind or at least a major a major shift you know if we're talking about um those spirits becoming the golden heron they might still like you said be able to return but um their their story on earth at least has ended and and that's where the power and the the magic comes from uh but as i was saying before about ernesto de la cruz his whole obsession is about memory in terms of how people remember him. What's the word? His reputation. And, is the most important thing to him. And he's trying to he guard. He to the, be popular, man. Right. And he's trying to guard the truth, the true memory. And there's this this whole thing in Coco about how memory is um, malleable and and fallible because people are remembering the same incident in different ways. Like Imelda remembers Hector just never coming back. But that's not the true story. That's not what really happened. I just want to say that I hope 
that in the afterlife, I have more important things to worry about than what people were thinking about or what people are still thinking about me on Earth. <laughs> yeah, but then you'll disappear. That's what the movie is saying. It's true. Like if people forget you. This movie gives me existential crisis every time I watch it. Really? That scene I don't with a friend. I've thought that deeply about that it. That scene with a friend. Um, the vanishes, in, yes. That vanishes, which, uh-huh. you know, we're going to get meta here. I don't remember that friend's name. Oh. And that's the whole thing. I was thing. just trying to I don't remember his name. Remember too, his and, name. and he disappeared. That part every time I'm like, wait, but this thing, this idea that they're dead, I like but they're dying, they're getting the final death. Ultimate peace. No, he doesn't. He gets forgotten. That's the whole movie. He, I don't know. he gets forgotten. I'm going to go the other way, Casey. I think that these people in the afterlife are still obsessing as far as the movie portrays it. There still seems to be class structures. Like, look at where Hector's living in, like, the slums. And Yeah, but it's not based on, like, financial things. No. It's based on uh, just if they're being remembered or not. Right. You know. But eventually, like they say, eventually everybody gets forgotten. And I think that once they lose... Like, I don't know how to describe Like, once they lose these uh, this tie to the earth and the people who still live there, then they can finally rest in peace. Like, instead of being held back by these ideas of what other people think about them. I very much disagree with you on this. Mm. I don't think that... I think the whole point of the ofrenda is that even if... Is that the storytelling of the people who knew them in life is enough to carry on the memory. So even though Coco is gone now, she's passed away, and... Yes, Miguel knew Hector in the afterlife, but he didn't know him in real life, right? But because they're passing these stories down generation to generation, they'll always be there. Like the storytelling is the memory. The heritage, the storytelling. I agree with all that. I was just saying that because Hector mentions that eventually everybody dies, like that second death. The final death? Eventually, Does he say everyone that happens to everyone? No, he says it happens to us all eventually. No. Yes, he, he says does. that. Yeah, he says it when his friend dies, and he's like, "Well, where um, did he go?" And he's like, and he says it, it happens to us all eventually." So I'm upset this- with you because you're giving me another existential crisis <laughs> at this moment. This movie wrecks me. I'm just saying that I think I just think you just have to view it with an idea of peace, like. It's not peace. It's nothingness. They don't exist. You don't know that. He doesn't know. He asks, well, where did he go? Well, nobody knows. No. But it happens to us all eventually. Okay. I feel a little better now. So it could be (laughs) just a place of peace and no more worry and ties to the earth. I don't know. Or it could be endless black void. But you wouldn't know. So why does it matter? Whoa. (laughs) You wouldn't even have a memory of before the endless black void. Exactly. Do you even have a memory of the current black void? Like No, because yeah, you have no being. Exactly. So it doesn't matter. I'm spiraling. <laughs> I'm spiraling. And you so, laugh at my spiraling. Now that we've given you all existential crisis, crisis mm-hmm. let's uh, talk about a few, a few back and forth comparisons. That aren't memory related necessarily. Yeah, yeah fun let's, facts. Let's uh, jump into... We'll we go want to from do the deep depths of of despair, of despair, the pit of despair, to some happy facts. You want to talk about like parallels or contrasting ideas first? I think I have more in parallels. Okay, so let's way. let's talk about some things that make them different. Then first, okay. I was thinking about the the protagonists who do kind of go on similar journeys, but um, but also not like their relationship to their family. Families at the beginning is very different. Kubo is just with his mom and is doing anything he can to help her and doesn't seem to resent it either. He, um, right, I think he he's sad. Cares for he her seems like a very sad character, but, um, but yeah, he doesn't resent that versus, um, versus Miguel who, um, he wants nothing more 
than to be away from his family and doing what he wants. Yeah, and he says he doesn't even care about being on the ofrenda or being remembered. And his whole journey is realizing that that's really important the to be remembered. The value of the family, yeah. which is another thing that gets me because I feel like we're all there as, as teenagers or at some point we're like, shoot, like <laughs> Kevin from Home Alone. I wish my family would just disappear. <laughs> I think we all have that thought at right. some point as like teenagers. You're like, man, just can I just be on my own? Can I just, you know, get away from my family? And then as you get older, you like hopefully grow to value them a little bit. Yeah, but then even if you feel like some, you need some alone time and then as soon as you get it, it's like the idea yes. that you feel annoyed at something your kids do during the day. And so you're like, I can't wait till they go to bed. They go to bed. And then um, after they're in bed, we're like, oh. Oh, they're so cute. Do you, did, did I tell you about this cute thing yeah. they did earlier? And did I? Yeah. <laughs> but see, again, the family the can't live with them. Can't live without the them. The fallibility of memory. You forget the bad and remember. It's like an the inception. On. Another Christopher Nolan that um, powerful feelings and emotions are, or sorry, positive feelings and emotions are more powerful than the negative. Negative ones, yeah. yeah. Um, I had some other contrasting ones, but just in the interest of time and i've covered some of them let's just jump into the jump into the parallels oh wait one other one this is it's not a big well maybe it's a big deal i was thinking about the cast in terms of behind the scenes differences the cast in coco is very culturally tied to to the movie which is awesome um all latino latina latinx actors and actresses voice actors and actresses in the movie and it's really awesome versus kubo which is the story um that's very steeped in japanese culture but most of the cast is white people and um they went a little more for big names i think because yeah matthew mcconaughey and um, right charlie 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 staron ray fines is the villain yeah Um, all these characters that are not white characters so it just felt a bit like whitewashing um which was it's honestly the the only flaw that i have only fault i can find with kubo i love the movie so much but just it's important to note, I think. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into the the parallels that aren't that aren't dealing with memory. Just some rapid fire ones. I think it's interesting that they both play instruments. Mm-hmm. We've got the guitar and the shamisen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but sure. that's that's what it is. A shamisen. Yeah. Yeah. And they both kind of go on on journeys with them, like they are trying to like they take them along on their trips, and they mm-hmm. and they use them use them to create different kinds of magic. Like Kubo uses his to create like literal magic right. um with the origami paper and with you know defeating of the of his ants creepiest ants yeah. ever seen oh i love them <laughs> <laughs> that's and, a good uh, it's a good halloween movie for you mm, just the right amount of creepy right yeah it's true those would be fun costumes i was thinking that cosplay like, this cosplay is one of the ants would be cool you'd need to have two of you who are like the exact same height true because you get the full effect of the creepy ants when they come in together, like floaty style. And if you can learn to float, all yeah, the better. Yeah, that would help. Maybe Call David Blaine. No, no, you hover like the little the little scooters that people have, the little two-wheeled like hoverboard-looking things. Mm-hmm. They're not actual hoverboards. What are they called? They're called hoverboards. Are they called hoverboards? Yeah, it's oh, a travesty. That's sad. But you just need robes that are just long enough to cover oh, them. Oh, yeah. Good and idea. then you could just float along with That'd them underneath it. your robes. Now and you're it would be terrifyingly This whole episode fantastic. is you scaring me in various <laughs> ways. That's what I do in life. That's <laughs> the memories you will hold of me. Is you scaring me. Is me creeping yep. you out in Pretty multiple much. ways. Yep. Oh, but speaking I'm of... I'm fine with that heritage. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put pictures up of you doing creepy faces. Uh, no, speaking of their journeys, uh, also they both go on journeys with family members that they don't realize, realize they're, they're family, family. Yeah. until... 
toward the end, you know, with in, in Coco, it's Miguel with Hector. In, in Kubo, he's along this journey with Monkey and Beetle. And then he learns that it's his mom and dad who have been transformed through some form of magic or curse. So Yeah, and along with their journeys, there's the idea that these families are being reunited at the ends. Like Kubo gets to be with his parents for a short time, um, even though he'd never even met his father. And then sadly, they both pass away, but then he gets to be reunited with the grandfather and kind of have a second chance with him. So he's reunited with family in some way, which is um, like Hector in Coco. He is separated from his family. They let us know that he's tried to reach out to Imelda in the afterlife. Mm. So apparently there's a horn honking outside of our window. So if you hear a <laughs> horn in the background, maybe we're podcasting too loud. Yes. Shut up in there. <laughs> Turn it down. Kids in your rock and roll. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was talking about Hector has been separated from his family. Imelda wants nothing to do with him, but he gets to be reunited with his family as uh, Miguel brings to light his real story and and the journey that he's been on with Hector. Um, he Hector gets reunited with his family just like the little corner of the picture gets reunited with the family picture. I love that. I love yeah. that idea. I'd never thought of it until you you mentioned it while we were watching and uh, blew right, my mind. Because he has this individual picture of himself that he wants to be put up on an ofrenda, but it, it seems so much more poignant that the picture that gets reunited is the little corner that has been missing of the family photo for so long. Uh, both stories really start up when the protagonist breaks a rule of some kind, whether it's Miguel breaking a family rule with music and also breaking some sort of magic rule, it seems, uh, by by stealing from the dead, stealing from the dead, stealing the guitar. Uh, and then in Kubo, the, the story really starts when he's outside at night, which is against, against the rules, against the against his mom's rules, because she knows that the moon, the moon drop people, <laughs> the ants and the grandfather can can see him and find him at night yeah and also speaking of his mother the she's kind of losing her memory she's in and out she is only awake sometimes to tell kubo stories and and things about the past the and it's during the day and and um but similar to miguel's great grandma coco who is obviously at the end of her life and she's losing her memory they they're both kind of only half present or partially present well there's one scene that i felt had a similar feel to it even though they're a little bit different but they happen around the same point in the story too. In Kubo, he goes down to the river to to try to talk to his ancestors, to try to talk to his dad, and his dad doesn't talk back uh, because his his dad's not dead. And in Coco, there's the scene where he's up in like the attic area, the attic space, and he's built this um, sort of makeshift altar to Ernesto de la Cruz. Right. And th- it almost has a similar feeling to it in that um, at that point in the story, Miguel doesn't think that Ernesto's his dad yet it's like right after um but his great great grandfather oh yeah sorry but, yeah. but his, his great, great grandfather great great grandfather great great grandfather because Coco is great right okay yeah so many greats mm-hmm. um but I imagine that after he starts to think that he thinks back and thinks well I was basically I basically built this altar to my to my ancestor um and so I think there's just a similar similar feel to it sort of like they're both like prayer scenes in a way Oh, and I want to talk about color. The The use of orange in both oh, denotes yeah. um, ancestors and spirits of those who have gone on. It's very heavy in cocoa with the, um, yes. the petals. And, um, what flowers are those? I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to say they're I'll have to, chrysanthemums or something. Yeah. Um, and 
when when he first starts to see the um, the spirits of the dead uh, in the graveyard, and they all have this orange aura around them as well. And it's just an orange heavy movie. But then in in Kubo, there's not a lot of orange throughout. But at the They're end, marigolds. Marigolds. Um, at the end of Kubo, when they invoke, the, he uses magic and invokes the ancestors. They also have this orange oranginess to them. And the end of the movie is a very golden orange tinted. Um, there's just a tinted coloring to it all. And so yeah, I think that's important to note, just on a surface level. They're both just beautiful films too. If you want to talk about surface level, yeah. Like- the opening shots of you know great grandma coco and like the wrinkles on her face are mm. just unreal in detail and then the same thing when you look at kubo and you realize that this is stop motion like how yeah. like everything is built there's very little that's computer generated i think some, some of the of water maybe some of the background but i even think some of those might be Painted. matte paintings yeah. um so yeah it's a it's a gorgeous gorgeous movie and there's a lot of awesome sweeping epic traveling journey type shots and uh, just through all kinds of locales so uh, yeah surface level both both gorgeous and and i love them i love them both wonderful movies we hope you guys will take the chance to see them and point out anything else that we missed that are compare contrast yep and thanks for joining us this episode we had a lot of fun and uh, remember to rate and review the podcast on itunes or wherever you listen to hello from elsewhere it really helps us reach more listeners like you and uh, and anytime we get a new review, it just warms warms our souls. Thanks for remembering us. And uh, and remember to engage with us on Twitter and Instagram at elsewhere underscore pod. Now we're going to get out of this stinky whale. Yeah, because it's which gross Which is in a here. reference to Kubo, by the way. Yeah. Go watch it. If you're like, what? A, whale, a frozen <laughs> whale carcass? That's why we're in the frozen whale carcass today. But at least we're not eating frozen whale carcass soup. So. And someone is honking their horn outside of the frozen whale carcass. Mm. So they need to stop that. All right. Happy beeps. Happy beeps. <laughs>